0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David jones the real estate law specialists. In today's episode, I'm joined once again by Richard Snape, our head of legal training. And today we will be discussing cases mentioned in our latest webinar on easements, implied rights, prescription and access problems. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. Um, so we're recording today after your um, second instalment on easements in our recent webinar. Um, and we've got a couple of cases that you want to go into a bit more detail about. The first one being Sovmot's investments and the Secretary of State for the Environment. Do you want to start with that one and give us some um, background details?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, the background facts are actually a bit of a cause celeb of the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, it involves a building that uh, many people will know. Uh, it's Centrepoint Uh on the end of Oxford Street, before you get onto Tottenham Court Road and Charing Cross Road and St Giles Circus, uh, on top of Tottenham Court Road uh, uh, Underground Station, and uh, it was uh, built in the 1960s, between 1963 and 66, 67. Um, it's uh, one, of the, one of the first skyscrapers in, in London. It's 34 stories high, not particularly high by today's standards, but was at the time. And the strange construction It's mixed-use development. Um, it's a sort of commercial premises down below, but there were 36 masonettes uh, up above in these premises. And uh Sartmott's had a 150-year lease of the premises. they actually on the parts of it to uh, Brompton Securities on a 45-year lease. And the premises was deliberately kept uh, uh, empty at the time. Um, the, uh, because uh, basically, rentals were rising dramatically at the time, and it was thought that we can make money long term by keeping these properties empty. Uh, and it was from a time, it's, it was Camden Borough Council, it's in Camden's uh, local authority area. And it was from a time when there was, uh, well, a bit like now, quite honestly, in that part of London in particular, a great housing shortage um again the older members listening in might remember that uh, it uh, there was a squat that took place in there and uh center point the charity that's still in existence that deal with homelessness uh, got their name from it and that's the background facts
0: so what happened subsequently on this case and what was the problem
1: uh yeah i mean camden uh London Borough Council, uh, decided to compulsorily purchase, but they, for whatever reason, compulsorily purchased a long lease, 150-year leases. Uh, And the first question, uh, which is a bit outside my ambit, being a CPO in planning law and the likes, uh, but was: uh, were you able to compulsorily purchase just the long lease sold as opposed to the freehold? And uh, that was decided, basically, yes, you could do that. But... um, they hadn't dealt with in the, in the compulsory purchase various ancillary uh, rights to these various uh, masonettes and the likes, uh, the gas, water, electricity supply. Uh, so the question to for the House of Lords, the House of Lords decision finally in 1977, but wasn't sort of officially reported until 1979, is uh, whether the easements to use services, water, gas, electricity will be implied using either the rule in Wielden and or, um or uh, Section 62 of the Law of Property Act.
0: So what did the House of Lords decide?
1: Uh, firstly, they uh, dealt with Wielden and um, which I mentioned in my webinar. We have actually got uh, our top 20 cases. Uh, we have recorded uh, one of them is Wielden and, and Wielden and Burroughs basically says that... Uh, if you've got quasi-easements, they could be easements, but for the fact you can't have easements over your own land and the rights claiming are continuous and apparent or necessary to reasonable enjoyment of the land, then uh, well, uh, on a later disposal, those quasi-easements, unless you say otherwise, become actual easements. Um, implied easements and that's the gist of Weildon and boroughs. It's actually based on a, a legal principle, a general legal principle that a, somebody who grants uh, rights or transfers land shouldn't derogate from their grant uh, and uh, by not, unless you've said otherwise, giving you know, the sort of person you purchase the same rights that you found convenient to use on the land. That's a derogation from grant. The House of Lords they decided that uh, Wilton & Boroughs wouldn't be relevant in these circumstances because unlike the normal situation where you're purchasing a piece of land and easements are implied, subject to a contrary provision, this was being compulsorily purchased. You know, the, the, the original owner, if you like, the long leaseholder had no say in the matter. And so there wouldn't be a derogation from grant. It wouldn't be applicable to compulsorily purchasing uh, land. So that particular argument failed.
0: What about Section 62 of the Law and Property Act?
1: Section 62 um, is primarily it's uh, meant to be a a word saving provision in the 1925 Law and Property Act that you don't have to actually state various things pass with the land unless you say otherwise various things do pass with the land. Um, so any buildings, erections, fixtures, you know, and the likes, they pass with the land. You don't have to say that, you know, if you just put a, uh, a piece of land with a house on it, you don't have to say the house goes with the land. It uh, is implied, that you might appreciate, using Section 62, subject to a contrary in, uh, indication, expression. Um, and it also says that um, Section 62 will act to, to pass any liberties, privileges, easements, rights and advantages. Um, which had been interpreted over the years as meaning that uh, Section 62 would create easements over you know, out of things that had merely been licences, if you like, in the past, uh, privileges where you'd you know, been allowed to use a sort of piece of land. Uh, the House of Lords uh, decided that that wouldn't be the case. They decided that there'd have to be some diversity of occupation uh, prior to the conveyance. Uh, and, uh, you know, because you don't have rights over your own land, it's your ownership of the land, they said, that gives you the rights. And they quoted a 1915 case called Pushback Colliery and Woodman, a Welsh uh, case in 1915. Uh, they, um, so that sort of failed. Um, they didn't have any implied easements using section 62 of the Law of Property Act either. And they should have expressed the compulsory purchase, you can actually compulsory purchase easements under well nowadays it's the Housing and Planning Act that allows you to do it
0: Can you give any other examples of this?
1: Yeah I mean there were a few cases that uh, were in my notes for the implied easements uh, webinar but I didn't actually mention the classics of landlord and tenant relationship there's then got to be a conveyance unlike section, uh, Wielding and Boroughs, section 62 only kicks in on a conveyance whereas Wielding and Burroughs can imply easements in the contract um, uh, in relation to land at least. Um, So there was a case for instance called Wright and McAdam from 1949, um, which was uh, a tenant in the top floor flat being allowed, given permission by the landlords to store coal in the the coal shed uh, down below uh, in the days when people had such things. Uh, The lease was then renewed, this was a residential lease, it was then renewed And unless you say otherwise, exclude section 62, or you withdraw the permission beforehand, the right became an easement to store coal. This this license to store coal suddenly became an easement. The landlord wanted to start charging the tenants for the benefit, and they couldn't do so because the tenant had an already created easement. Well, there's another case called International Tea Stores and Hobbs from 1903, um, where you were a tenant under a lease were given permission to uh, use a neighbouring pathway across the landlord's land and then you buy the freehold or Goldberg and Edwards you know that's a conveyance and uh, or Goldberg and Edwards again you were given permission to use an alternative access way to an annex at the back of some land Um, and then you know then there was a a sort of um, and then there was a a disposition and that again sort sort of conveyance that sort of uh, implies an easement. So it's important that you exclude section 62 as a landlord when you go through tenants purchasing the freehold when you've allowed them to use neighbouring land uh, and rights in the nature of an easement. Or um, uh, well, withdraw the, the, the rights beforehand.
0: Were there any subsequent developments?
1: Yeah, there was a case. Uh, well, I have been a couple of cases called appeal cases, which have sort of backpedalled on that to some extent. Which, frankly, are not particularly reconcilable. The primary one was in two thousand and fifteen, case called the Wood and Waddington, uh, where the uh, original land was in common ownership, and um, then the uh, the land was split into two, and Wood and Waddington bought the two different sorts uh, separate pieces of land and would successfully claim section 62 created easements out of privileges, out of licenses, uh, as an exception, even though there wasn't any kind of diversity of occupation beforehand. Uh, it, it would uh, equally apply, they said, if the rights you're claiming were continuous and apparent, which in these circumstances basically meant they were obvious, there was an obvious pathway. And so it's not easy to reconcile with the, uh, with um. Sodmots and the Secretary of State, but uh, that seems to be an exception.
0: Yeah, so the next case was TW Logistics and Essex County Council that you wanted to look at. Um, Should we make a start with that one?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a useful case. It's a 2021 Supreme Court case. Um, It's uh, one of many Supreme Court cases on town and village greens. And uh, would have been a news flash if uh, we were doing such things at the beginning of this year. Um, it's not actually an easements case, but I think it's got a lot of relevance to easements. That's why I selected it. It was in the, the notes that I did briefly mention it in the, the course. But it's about whether you can drive vehicles across town and village green. Um, because the consensus amongst many was that you can't do so. You can't do anything to interrupt the locals in their use of the, the village green in the, for, for, for recreational purposes. And this case has uh, said otherwise. So it's not an easements case, but it might just be relevant. I think we will have cases. Uh, in relation to can you claim prescriptive easements across town and village green and the likes? So that's uh, that's uh, the significance of it, if you like. I mean, there's a Supreme Court case.
0: Okay, so what were the background facts to this one?
1: Um, the, I mean, the background to it uh, for those who are not sort of familiar with what town and village greens sort of claims might involve, it was a docks, uh, Mistley in Essex on the southern. Um, side of the River Stour. It's upstream from Felixstowe, which is on the other side, in the, the Suffolk side. Um, and there seems to have been a docks there for hundreds of years. It's not quite as, um, as uh, busy as it once was. I think in 2007, there was something like 90 vessels in the year which used it, whereas hundreds and hundreds would have done in the past. And uh, TW Logistics uh, owned the docks. It's a private docks. Um, they case itself and they, they were sort of exporting and importing grain and bricks and metals and this kind of stuff you know into this little little docks and there was one quayside I think it was called Allen Key, as I recollect um, which was about 200 square meters of concrete that uh, the locals would uh, congregate on uh, to chat these were the you know, uh, they, they chatted on this particular piece of land. They would non-linear walk on the quayside. Uh, what, on,
0: what on earth is non-linear walking?
1: Not going from A to B, ambling around without a care in the world okay. is non-linear walking. They were also feeding the swans uh, in the river and uh, fishing for crabs. and This had been going on for many years. Now, you can claim a village green. It's section, currently it's section 15 of the Commons Act of 2006. Now, sort of paraphrase, it's a long section. But uh, a village green can be claimed when a significant number of uh, the inhabitants of the locality or neighbourhood in the locality have engaged, as, as of right, which is without force, secrecy, or permission, uh, in lawful. Sp- pastimes or sporting activities for at least 20 years. And uh, case law galore establishes that the pastimes are not just what you might think of. Uh, you know, they can not just sort of things like um, uh, well, playing football and cricket, but uh, I can think of a case a few years back involving uh, a redcar car in Cleveland Borough Council where non-linear walking on a golf course gave rise to a village green claim. Dog walking is the commonest of all. Uh, There's been a recent case involving Oxfordshire County Council, Alloway in Oxfordshire, where the pastimes that uh, gave rise to a village green claim involved dog walking, non-linear walking, lounging about and chilling out and rolling an egg down a hillside. Every two years they'd have an egg rolling contest. Uh, But uh, that's what they were claiming. That gave rise to a village green claim it was found that feeding the swans was being done with the permission of the landowner, TW Logistics. So what the other activities can qualify as a a potential village green claim. What actually happened, what gave rise to the village green claim is that um, TW Logistics obviously had sort of HGVs driving up and down this quayside, you know, to, to get to the boats and things. And, um, they were warned by the health and safety executive back in 2008 that this could be dangerous. You know, somebody could get knocked into the quayside or you know, seriously injured or worse. And so they fenced off, they've got some metal fencing around this quayside. And uh, one of the locals in particular, Mr. Tucker, uh, objected to this and claimed it was a village green. Eventually in 2014, Essex County Council accepted they were the Registry and Authority and they accepted the village green claim, uh, which gave rise to litigation.
0: What did the courts decide then?
1: It was a bit of a surprise to me. It sort of, you know, as it went through the courts, they more or less decided the same thing. They found that uh, the use was as of right, you know, with the exception of their feeding the swans. There was no force involved. There was no secrecy. It was open. There was no permission given. They got the requisite 20 year time period. But the major defense that uh, TW Logistics put forward is that uh, if it becomes the village green, we cannot fulfill our activities because uh, we're not allowed to drive vehicles on the village green. And if we can't drive vehicles, we can't unload the ships. Um, and I so say to some extent that had always been accepted as being the case based on a couple of um, Victorian pieces of legislation, um, something called the 1857, I think it is, Enclosure Act, and the 1876 Commons Act and Section 12 of the Enclosure Act, for instance, says that the uh, gist of it, in quite antiquated language, is that you can't do anything to interfere with the, uh, the public's use of village greens and their, uh, their recreation, recreational use of the village green. So therefore you can't drive. Um, The Supreme Court uh, basically said, and I say it was a bit of a shock to me, that uh, there wouldn't be any, it said in the the legislation in Section 12 that you can always have lawful authority and you wouldn't be stopping the locals using the land. They've been using the land and living happily with the HGVs and the likes for many a year without uh, mishap and there should be an element of give and take. And so if you know, you're not sort of question of degree disturbing the locals, you can drive vehicles across the village green. Uh, another argument that was being put forward was that was the, supposing you can't drive across the village green because it will interfere with the, the locals' recreational use. Um, would that prevent uh, a village green claim in the first place, if that makes sense? Uh, unfortunately the Supreme Court decided that because there wouldn't be any interference they didn't have to decide that uh, and that's been left open.
0: Can you see any implications of this in relation to easements?
1: Yeah i say it wasn't an easement's case they were driving over land that uh, they themselves owned but uh, there's got to be an argument that um, you can claim well certainly it Express easements over village green as long as it doesn't disturb the local and their use of the land, and uh, if uh, if that's the case, potentially prescriptive easements based on long user again across the village green as long as it doesn't disturb the recreational use of the land. They basically said in the Supreme Court these you know we can't use these Victorian pieces of legislation from the 1850s and the 1870s uh, as a way of uh, you know sort of has been sort of the same argument, if you like, today. And thus, Mr Tucker managed to get registered 200 square metres of concrete as a village green um, after 11 years of campaigning.
0: Interesting, thank you very much for that. Is there anything else you want to touch on on that case or shall we move uh, on?
1: Right, there's one other thing I better mention actually. Yeah, um, and that's that, uh, and a lot of people listening to this podcast will be working for, for government bodies and uh, don't forget that um, uh, the consequences of a couple of Supreme Court cases and you know, joined together in, in the Supreme Court in late 2018, um, Crown of Lancashire County Council and Secretary of State and uh, Crown of the NS- NHS and Surrey County Council, a couple of judicial review cases. If there's uh, some statutory incompatibility, you can't claim a village green in the first place. And the Supreme Court said that that can be uh, interpreted widely. Um, And that if you hold land through statute, which is obviously the large majority of government land, both central and local, it can't be registered as a village green. That's a major exception. So government bodies are in a privileged position in relation to village green claims.
0: Okay, so the final case um, we want to look at is Liverpool City Council and Irwin. Do you want to touch on that one briefly?
1: I'll do it fairly briefly because the major issue in Liverpool City and Council and Irwin wasn't whether those was implied easements. It's an incredibly important case uh, involving repairing obligations and landlord and tenor there. Uh, the background is that uh, it involved... Um, it's a 1977 House of Lords case and it involved... Um, was three blocks of flats, 15 story blocks of flats with 70 flats in each of them in uh, Everton in Liverpool, which were becoming very run down primarily because of vandalism and hooliganism in the block. Um, it had the, the locals knew the blocks as uh, the various uh, flats as the piggeries. Um, but um, things like it had rubbish chutes which were blocked because people had been putting the wrong things down a tv set and a mattress put down their rubbish chutes. The lifts were permanently out of action uh, and the stairs uh, were blocked with rubbish and the uh, lighting didn't work and the lights. Uh, council seemed to have been spending money on repairs of the premises but um, every time they tried to repair the premises it got vandalized very rapidly. Um, and Irwin, the Irwins, uh, together with others, basically had a rent strike, refused to pay the rent. Uh, The rent was a low rent but uh, they were refusing to pay it and had a rent strike and the background is actually the council wanted to evict them for non-payment of the rents and that's really what the case was about.
0: What was the issue in relation to easements?
1: Well, strangely, in the tenancy agreements, these uh, the Irwins were in a mace net on the 8th and ninth floor of this 15-storey block, and uh, their leases didn't give them any rights to use the staircases, lifts, rubbish chutes and uh, corridors. Uh, so the first thing that needed to be decided is that they actually have some sort of property right in it, and the House of Lords decided, I think not unnaturally, it must be implied, uh, there's uh, a couple of ways of implying easements that people, have, well, lawyers at least, will do at their degree level studies. One is where it's necessary to give business efficacy and the other is something called the officious bystander. Uh, if an officious bystander were to ask, you know, do you have rights over the corridors and staircases, he would have testily suppressed them with an oh, but of course. Uh, that's for a 1930s case when people talked like that. Uh, so they obviously had easements, or they said in, in relation to the lifts, rights in the nature of an easement, so that was, you know, there's an implied easement if it goes without saying, you just forgot to express the easement.
0: So finally then, what was the outcome of this case?
1: Well, once they had the easements, the real issue, and again it's significant, is uh, with the council, there was no express obligations in relation to repairing and maintaining the common parts, what would there be an implied term? And the House of Lords decided, yes, there would. There'd be an implied term that you take reasonable care of the common parts. Uh, And that's uh, an implied term in relation to leaseholds generally, not just in relation to this block of flats, but across the board. As it happens, the court decided that the landlords, the council were taking reasonable care of the common parts because Uh, Every time they tried to do something, the vandalism would just sort of start soon afterwards. And it wasn't an absolute obligation. If it had been an absolute obligation, there'd be quite a few councils out there who would be potentially bankrupted with the liability. But they also made clear it's not not the Irwins themselves, but um, it was the fellow tenants within the block or some of them that were responsible for it. And it wouldn't be right to imply an absolute obligation. So the Irwins at the end of the day failed and that's okay
0: thank you once again richard and thank you to all of our listeners we look forward to seeing you in the next episode of unpacking the case